1: Is it too late to say sorry? Hello, and welcome to episode 30. Yes, we've reached the big 3 0 of the Real Football cast. I'm your host, Dan Tracy, and in the next 60 minutes, we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what has been going on in the Premier League over the past few days. But in addition to that, there are also some off-pitch activities that have caught alright and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. Now what with the Champions League resuming later today, it's time for another afternoon recording and this time I welcome my good friend Carl back into the fold. So Carl, it's been a while since we talked all things football, but how have you been?
0: Yeah, really good Dan. Um looking forward to this and as you say, there's some good some good games to go over so yeah, looking forward to this one mate.
1: Excellent, I'd best do some social media bits first otherwise we'll be talking into the Abyss once more. First, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at StanTracy1983. Anything show-related, send it my way. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. And if you use that platform, then don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud and Acast. While the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. As you should know by now, Real Football Cast is sponsored by Loserpool. And what is Loserpool, I hear you ask? It's a game that sees betting turning its head, with the focus being on the loser. If this has grabbed your interest, then be sure to visit loserpool.com and create an account, especially as there is a new prize pool which guarantees a winner £1,000, something you won't want to miss out on. The odds of winning are great, but they're even better if you sign up. Right then, it's time to go live. And where should we go first? I guess there really is one place to go, and that is the Etihad. So City, top again by virtue of goal difference, and that's criteria would have been given a huge boost, Cole, after a 6-0 thrashing of Chelsea. So when a big team hands out a thrashing to another big team, it's always a post-mortem what went wrong rather than a guess what went right. So first up, we'll ask that question, just how did it get so wrong for Chelsea on Sunday?
0: Chelsea are one of these really weird sides this year, aren't they, Dan, where you kind of never know what performance you're going to get from them and what Chelsea are going to turn up. Um, I think we always kind of it always kind of seems like chelsea are bouldering from one week being in crisis to the next week things seem to have picked up for them and they they've got themselves sorted but when it goes bad it really goes bad for them this season and you know just recently they've been on the end of some real hammerings away from home um and again Sunday, you just kind of saw that sort of performance where you know, players look disinterested, they weren't doing the right things, you know, weren't, you know, being professional as they should do when you've got a manager coming out saying one of his players that he should probably look for another job because, you know, football is possibly not for him. Then you kind of get the feeling that something doesn't seem right in that camp at the moment with Chelsea. Um, And you just, this just seems like it's going to be the Chelsea that we see normally, you know, they bring a manager in, they have a, a kind of little burst at the start of the season where they're looking really good, then things just seem to go to pot and you get the impression that inside the camp there's arguments happening and players obviously don't like the manager. And then, you know, you, who would be surprised if we saw Sarri sacked in the near future and, you know, an interim come into the end of the season? But nothing, you know... That sort of performance, they really wouldn't have been expecting a team like them to be on the end of that sort of hammering. Um, And they just were all over the shot. But they've been like that in a few away games now. But the chances are in the next game, you wouldn't put it past them to go and actually beat City in the final uh, at Wembley in a week or so's time because that is the kind of Chelsea that you're seeing at the moment. You know, one week dreadful, the next week they look like they're a decent side and Hazard seems to be on fire. Um, but yeah, real you know, a real up and down season for them and I, I'd be surprised possibly if Sarri's there at the end of the season or the beginning of next season.
1: I mean yeah, you touch on sort of Chelsea's topsy turvy nature. If we look at their last three lead results in isolation a 4-0 defeat away at Bournemouth. A 5-0 win at home to Huddersfield. Admittedly, the caveat is it's Huddersfield. And then a 6-0 thrashing by City. So, yeah, it's all over the shop, really. But um, I think with Chelsea, there's always a sort of feeling that managers don't really matter. And it's, it's as long as we've got the players, it doesn't really matter who's at the top. The players will look after themselves and get the job done. Is that a mindset that they've got to rid themselves of and actually get someone in who is going to be, not just some disposable uh, commodity that they've been off after 12 or 24 months, and think, Do you know what, let's actually get a name in that can start putting in some foundations and not have this sort of rinse-wash-repeat uh, format that keeps going on at Stamford Bridge?
0: Yeah, 100%, because I think you can even take that back to when AVB was yes. given the job there, because I think AVB was brought in, wasn't he, as this long-term future for Chelsea, You know, and Abramovich wanted to come in, it was going to be, this is my man, and I'm backing him over player power, and we saw after half a season that basically Terry and Lampard and co were running that club, AVB, they didn't fancy him and Abramovich seemed to crack and get rid of him. And you kind of got the impression from that point on that the player power is too strong at that club. You know, if a certain players don't like the manager that comes in rather than Abramovich and the ball saying, well, listen, The only person who's going here is you. You know, if you're not going to toe this guy's line, we believe in him. So we'll back him over you. That's not happening. And it seems to be that the minute the players turn, well, then the manager goes and they just try to bring someone else in. And if you like it, it will repeat this process all over again. So I'm like you. I, I think at some point they will need to look and say, We want to bring a manager who's got a philosophy and we're going to stick with this for a few years. And not being funny, if there's any players who are not prepared to toe his line, well, then those players will be shipped on and we'll bring players in who are prepared to to do what that manager wants. But I suppose the problem they've also got is their kind of methodology has worked over the years, has not it? Yes. They've constantly be bringing trophies home. So I suppose you're looking at it in, you know, I suppose there is a problem with that, which is, well, if this doesn't work, that's bring someone else in and we'll bring the trophies in. And if the trophies are still coming in, they're marking that as a success. But I think we saw as well at the weekend and we've seen it a few times this year. I I would worry that if you take Hazard out of that side, then that Chelsea side looks a real ordinary team um, and there's a real fear if I was them that Hazard would be off in the summer and then you'd kind of worry, well, hold on, you know, who who's going to become this player that we can look to for you know, the season and look to produce that magic because it does seem that when Hazard's not on fire and they're, they're playing the way they do, then they look a very ordinary team.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, like you just said, if Hazard leaves and Chelsea don't get back in the Champions League, then trying to recruit key players to get back into that top four becomes even harder. So this could be the start of a sort of a prolonged period where they're out of the sort of European elite. So it's going to be quite a pivotal season. But in terms of Sari himself... Is there a case to be made that he's become perhaps too tactically rigid? On one hand, you could say it's commendable that he wants to stay true to his own style. You know, much has been made of sorry ball and all that. But at what point does he, especially in that City game, have to hold his hands up and say, do you know what? This isn't working. We've got to change. We've got to try and at least damage limitation here. Because, you know, it was just like men versus boys at one point, really, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, I think there's those those things, isn't there, that they kind of doing the same things week in, week out. You know, as soon as the team's selected, I I hear a lot of Chelsea fans going, oh, how predictable. We could have told you that team last week, you know, and we also know the way we'll kick off. You know, if we get kick off, the ball will go back to Louise, and he's just going to pump it forward. So, as you say, I think, you know, the idea when he was coming in about Sarri ball and the way that this was going to be was exciting. But it does kind of seem that a few teams, you know, once they work you out and how Chelsea are going to play, then Sarri doesn't seem to do anything to mix it up and change it round. Um And when you're trying to possibly play... Kante in the position he is, rather than saying, well, hold on, at a certain point in that game at the weekend, you could have realised, look, maybe I need to now drop him back alongside Eugenio, and we just need to solid ourselves up for a little while and let him do what he's good at. But he seems to be persisting with things like that, you know, trying to turn a player who was probably one of the best players in the Premier League in that position last year, And now he's trying to almost make, you know, completely change his game. And you do kind of sit and think, why would you try to change something that clearly was working so well for you? But yeah, he doesn't look to make changes that you kind of think he's changing his side up. And I think we know in this modern game now, if you don't have a plan B or you can't be flexible enough to change it up on the fly, then you're going to get found out more often than not, because teams put so much emphasis on, you know, analysis and, you know, obviously with Spygate and stuff. So, Teams know what you're going to do. And if you can't change that up every now and then, then, yeah, you're going to find what you want to do just becomes null and void because teams, teams are ready for you.
1: At the same time, if we focus on what City did right, I mean, they've got the bit between their teeth now and they're making good teams look ordinary. Um, they were dominant on Sunday. So is it fair to say that, you know, it's all clicked again and it's all full steam ahead for the title race?
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, as you say, City have now got that bit between their teeth, haven't they? Where I think, you know, I'm sure Pep probably has ripped into them after their defeats they've had this year um, and, and let them know in no uncertain terms, listen... This isn't the way we play and those are not results I'm expecting. And with City, we, we've seen before, when it clicks for them, the players they've got and the football they can produce, there isn't another team in the league who can live with them because that squad is filled with so much quality. If you've got De Bruyne, Aguero, Sterling, players like that playing at their potential, then they are just class players. You know, No one can live with them. I guess the thing now will be to see whether they can again go on a run and put maybe 10 or so games together um, rather than, you know, two or three and then slip up again. Because I don't really think they can afford to to slip up any more this year. You know, we've kind of got into this era now in the Premier League where teams get off to a flyer and basically you really can't afford to... Make too many mistakes throughout the season. You know, by the time if you start losing three or even four games in this Premier League era, then you're kind of out the title race because those teams that are winning it are just going off and not losing and going on 20 25 game runs where they, they can't be beat. So, you've really got to stay in contact and make sure you don't slip up at all if you want to be champions at the moment with the way Liverpool and City are playing. So, yeah, I think City to me—I don't know, Dan—whether I'd still pit them to to win this this year. It's so hard to call right now. You kind of think Liverpool are in the pole position, but you—I re- would still put good money on City beating them. At the end of the day, you know, we're getting to the pressure time of the season now. And will that experience and, you know, winning those titles before really kick in and be an advantage or can Liverpool just get it over the line? But I'll tell you now, when City play like that, uh, you know, you don't want to go and play them, to be honest, because they could do what they did to Chelsea, to any team in, in football at the moment.
1: Well, I mean, they beat Burton and Rotherham in respective cups. And to be honest... It's almost a bigger result to beat Chelsea 6 0 than it is to beat Burton 9 0, such as the sort of magnitude of that defeat. And it would have set sort of shockwaves across the Premier League if like, City, they're up for this. And with a third of the season to go, like you say, it's too difficult to call. Maybe you might want points on the board because you've done it. You know, a game in hand is great, but you've still got to then go and win that game in hand. And we'll focus on that in a minute. But, God, you know what? It is, it's almost flip of a coin stuff. And that's before. We even put Tottenham into the mix, but you know it's going to take a brave man to to predict who's going to win it. But in terms of um, the person who got the bulk of the goals on Sunday, that was Sergio Aguero. He's eleventh Premier League hat trick—a tally that puts him on a par with Alan Shearer. So it's been quite the turnaround for someone who looked last season as if he was almost getting phased out in favour of Gabriel Jesus.
0: Yeah, at the beginning of Pep's reign, he didn't look like he fancied Aguero, did he? And you kind of got this impression that Jesus had been brought in and he was going to be his kind of main man. But I guess it just goes to show, doesn't it, when you're a player of Aguero's ability, then that just comes through, and there's no, you know, apart from Kane, if you asked me to select a striker I'd want in my side, Aguero would be the second name on that list, because the guy is just phenomenal, you know, he's such a great player, finishing, he's strong, he can hold the ball up, he can dribble, take players on, you know, score great goals, score tap-ins, obviously, you know, he missed probably the easiest chance of the lot he had on the weekend, but he, he truly is a great player, and let's face it, he's going to be City's all-time greatest goal scorer And you you wouldn't you know you can't begrudge him that because you know he's gone down in Premier League as probably one of the greatest players the Premier League has seen.
1: I mean, I was looking at the numbers before recording, and he's a hundred goals short of Alan Shearer's Premier League record. So, if he stayed at City, two he's thirty four, thirty five. Could you ever see him actually becoming the Premier League's all-time top scorer?
0: I guess, you know, with City, obviously, the luxury they've got is that if he suddenly starts going on a on a quiet spell, then they're the sort of club that can go out and just buy the next best striker and, you know, you could never be seen again. That's but if he, if he carries on playing and scoring the goals the way he is, then I'm not sure why you'd want to replace him. Um, and as you say, if he stays there... Um, till till that sort of age, and the goals that City score each season, then you still wouldn't bet against him catching Shearer in that record at all, because you know they will score enough goals every season where he's only has to do a you know maybe two, three more seasons, and he would be very close to that record, I'd guess.
1: I was looking at the ratios as well between him and Kane, and they're both on zero uh, point seven uh, goals to games. So although Aguero's played more games. The rate of their the scoring is exactly the same. So if Harry Kane has a, you know, as long a stint as we hope that he has at um, White Hart Lane or whatever we want to call the new ground, then you know that's not outside the realms of possibility either. But let's focus on um, the team that City have knocked off the top. It was Liverpool. Their short-lived stint at the top lasted 24 hours. They're back to winning ways after what you'd say was a routine win over Bournemouth. Now, obviously, the win very welcome, but you do get the feeling, Carl, that it's opportunity missed in terms of not Something putting the cherries topic. to the sword. Because if we're looking at goal difference, that could be a real key factor.
0: Yeah, this season you do get that. You do get that feeling that goals scored is going to come into it, don't you? And. Again, I think now Liverpool, when they play, you know, and no disrespect to Bournemouth, but when they play that sort of side at home, you kind of get the impression that the idea would be: listen, we want to try and rack up as many as we can here. Um, I guess the only thing is this year, Bournemouth are not a, are not an, you know, not. If you look at say a Huddersfield, then you would think, well, yeah, three was a real missed opportunity. Bournemouth, are, you know, have been decent this year. You know, I suppose they're not an easy side to play against. But once they started getting the ball rolling and one, two, three, then at that point you would have thought, yeah, you know, that you would at least be looking for five possibly to at least, keep, if you say, keep that goal tally racking up and in your favour. Because you wouldn't put it past it going to goal difference this season, the way the teams are going. Um, and as you say, that is another point on the board in theory. If you've got that good goal difference, then you've almost got another point point in your bag so yeah i would say once they started once they got the third then they would have looked to really move that on to four or five and really put bournemouth to the sword so you never know that could come back to halton but right now i guess for them getting those three points with the run they've kind of been on was the key thing and getting a good feeling and you know a bit of momentum back
1: yeah absolutely i think you know I think that's just really being hypercritical. But, you know, like I say, it could be really, really important. And any talk of a blip has been quickly allayed after that win. They seem to be out the other side very quickly. And the next team they go up against is Man United in the league. Now, that's going to be one hell of a titanic clash. It always is. But the stakes have got much higher now, haven't they?
0: That's. I mean, this will be one of those, you know, kind of super Sunday games where I think everyone will want to watch this because, as you say, we've got the resurgence of Man U under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and I guess now, if you're someone like City, you are really pinning your hopes on United being at home and being strong and putting Liverpool to the sword. But the way this season's going, you know, I I would still say Liverpool would go into that game as favourites. You know, I'd still fancy them to possibly go and get a result at Old Trafford. But that is going to be one titanic clash, as you say, that... Put it this way, I will make sure that I'm home ready to watch that one because that could be a real cracker of a game. Both teams that now look prepared to attack one another, they won't sit back to try and soak it up or just come away with a draw because neither team seem to be able to do that. So you know this is going to be two teams going at it and there is a lot on the line. You know, United will want to do everything they can to knock Liverpool's title and obviously Liverpool would love to be able to go there and get a result and help them. To pick up a title that they can finally crow about to the Old Trafford boys. Yeah, I mean,
1: the words, or I guess the phrase, season defining is used almost far too often in this day and age, but that one really is. And like you say, it's a case of clear the diary, turn the phone off, and just make sure you're in front of the sofa, or at least in the pub, because that's going to be a huge clash. But for the team that Liverpool beat, that being Bournemouth, of course, is it fair to say that they're already on the beach? They can't seem to build in that good first half of the season, can they? I mean, obviously. In terms of their objective, I guess it's been reached in the grand scheme of things. But at the same time, will Eddie Howe be ruining the fact they haven't been able to sort of kick on further and threaten a Europa League
0: place? Yeah, yeah, I think, as you say, at one point at the start of this season, they would kind of maybe been thinking that they were going to be the Burnley this season, weren't they? That one team that looked like, well, actually, we could have a surprise team getting in that top six or seven and looking at a UEFA, you know, Europa League place. And I think, as you say, they started the season really well and are picking up some great results. I think the injury to Brooks is a big, massive blow to him because he's been really impressive so far this season. So losing him will be a massive blow. Um, and, yeah, they, they seem to be one of those sides, don't they? They can pick up a really good win against Chelsea that they did, but then they'll go and slip up the following week to a team that you'd kind of go, oh, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have seen Bournemouth losing to those. Um And that, as you say, will probably be where Eddie Howe. that's the next level, isn't it, now, is getting that consistency where you can keep the runs going and make sure you don't lose to the teams you shouldn't lose to. And, you know, when you face the top six, then, okay, it's a lottery. You might. But anything below that, you want to be that team that kind of pushes those sides to one side. Um, And, yeah, you know, Let's face it, they've had a great season because you would everyone probably would have put them in one of their tips to possibly be in danger of the relegation fight. But I don't see them being in that at all this year. And I think they'll be fine and they'll finish mid table, which to them they'll probably look at success and just continues that journey of building themselves as a you know, a Premier League regular side that, you know, but again, then do they fall into, you know, it's kind of, it's difficult, isn't it? Because if you support that side, you you know, your chances are you're never going to win the league. You might not go down. Chances are you're going to feel weakened sides in the cup because the Premier League survival is your be-all and end-all. So you kind of then get lost in this abyss of just being a mid-table team where the season kind of by... February, March has dwindled away to, well, we're just seeing games out now and we'll pick up wins, we'll lose a few. Um, yeah, it, it's really hard if you're a Bournemouth supporter because you then question now is, what's the next level for a team like that? You know, they don't have the infrastructure to kind of battle the big six in terms of money. So, yeah, they, they've got to try and be creative and think of another way of doing it.
1: I mean, you could argue that sort of Bournemouth have found their natural peak and they might not ever... Get higher, and that's no disrespect to the club. I think when you take the almost meteoric rise from sort of League Two and up, you know it's all very well going through the leagues. It's obviously not easy, but it's easier. But then trying to find progress in the Premier League and get into that next step. So many clubs have tried to crack it. I know Leicester was the freak anomaly, but you know I don't think there's any sort of shame finishing mid-table every season. But as a fan, you want to be celebrating, at least having a crack at stuff or, or winning trophies. So I guess it's are you happy to be in the Premier League? Or, you know, do you actually want to go for stuff? On the same level, like a Tottenham fan, it's do you want to be battling for the top four, do you want to win trophies? So each club will have its own sort of micro-issues, I guess. It's all. all I suppose as you say,
0: Dan, if you're, if you're a Bournemouth fan and you know you're kind of after the start of the season, it looks like your Premier League safety is, is done and you'll be fine, I guess this is where it would be frustrating if you then see you put out a weakened team in one of the, the FA Cup yes. or something. Because right. that is where you then sit there and go, well, hold on. Okay, we're never gonna the chances are we won't win the Premier League unless we have a freak season like Leicester. We're not gonna go down. So actually cups are where we're gonna really have our success if we're gonna have some form of success in our you know, in our lifetime. So why are we playing weakened teams in the cups? You know, they are what we should be going for and aiming to try and win if we can, possibly an FA Cup or League Cup, but I guess the League Cup probably comes around too early in the season that managers are not prepared to risk it um, at that point. And then, you know, if you do field a weakened team in the FA Cup, then, as you say, your season could be kind of dwindling away by the end of January, beginning of Feb.
1: Yeah, so Bournemouth are 11th now. So if we look at the table, there's, I guess, enough daylight between them and the drop zone. However, the battle to stay clear, of I guess, for what for all intents and purposes, is 18th. Because when you look at Fulham and Huddersfield, they're as good as done. So that battle to stay out of the relegation zone is really hotting up. Three points separate Palace in 13th and Southampton 18th. So it gives us a perfect opportunity to take stock of the battle today. And first, of all, I want to focus on Brighton. Now, they've really hit the skids as of late. No league win in six. I think, personally, they may even go down. Do you think this lack of momentum could eventually cost
0: them their top flight status? That does happen, doesn't it? You know, if you get into a rut of losing games, it's hard to kind of get out of that out of that, um, you know, as you say, that momentum, you know, and turn it around. I think there was one point, I'll be honest with you, when you kind of, when as Spurs fans, there was talk of Poch possibly off to United or somewhere like that, you start looking at managers who you think could come in and kind of maybe fill that void. And I have to say, the way Brighton were playing at the beginning of the season and have been over the last couple of seasons, Houghton was one of those managers that you kind of thought, well, yeah, I could possibly see him, you know, being able to do a job. You know, would he be someone you take a chance on? Um, But it just seems, doesn't it, they've hit that middle part of the season and then now they can't pick up a win and they're losing games that you really wouldn't put them down as losing. (coughs) Excuse me. So, yeah, I think they really need to try and turn that round as quick as possible because, as you say, this year you only got to go on a run of three or four defeats and you'll be be sucked right into that danger zone. And then it does just become a hard job to try and turn that round and get yourself out of it. So they will need to start picking up some wins. But I think they've got the side that they could possibly turn it round. And they wouldn't be one of my sides I'd really worry about this year.
1: They lost to Burnley on Saturday, though, and it's fair to say the officials didn't really do him any favours. So, a penalty, not giving it one in for Brighton, and then straight down the other end, the Clarets get one for themselves. So, um, if there was ever a need for VAR, I guess this was the one.
0: Oh, that, yeah, that was a horror show, wasn't it? That, that decision, I mean... I don't know how the referee thought the guy managed to spin and clear that ball off his chest in almost like 360. So, yeah, that that was a real sick one to take if you're Brighton. But again, as you say, another reason why really VAR does need to come in.
1: I mean, that said, it's also fair to say that Burnley were the better of the two sides overall. So when we talk of momentum, they've got bags of it right now. Whereas Brighton haven't won in six, Burnley are unbeaten. So 12 points for the last 18 on offer. Uh, They've turned the corner, certainly, and although they sit below Brighton at the moment, the way the trajectories are sort of going, you could almost sort of see the two teams swapping over soon. So, um, Burnley, any fears for them, or are they going in the right direction?
0: I think Burnley now, as you say, again, if you're looking at momentum, they've now got it going for them. And I think we're kind of seeing what some of us, I think, I know we probably discussed it earlier in the season, the Europa League for them was a real killer in a way because they didn't have the squad to cope with those demands that they were going to be put under. And in a way, although they've had their few games in, it's probably a blessing in disguise that they went out of that as early as they did, because it, you can see it clearly took a toll on them in their early season form. And what looks to be happening now is they're suddenly now getting their players back on the training pitch, getting themselves, you know, sorted. Figuring out what they want to do defensively and attacking wise, and you now just get the impression that they'll they'll keep hedging away from that danger zone. And with Diash, they've got a great manager. Um, and yeah, Burnley for me will be a team that pushed themselves away from that relegation zone. And if they keep playing the way they have, then I, I see them picking up enough points to get them safe. But again, you know, it just goes to show that for a team like that, if you you know, although you want to finish as high as possible, sometimes it can really put you in danger of, you know, if you don't have a squad that can cope with those demands, then then you do have to make a call of what's more important to you.
1: And talking about what's more important, if we flick it back to Brighton, they're in the Cup at the weekend. Now, will the Cup offer like a brief, re- a brief respite in terms of, you know, the doom and gloom of their current run? Or if they keep progressing, does it then become something of a burden because they've got extra games to deal with? Uh, you know, we look at Wigan, for example. They won the FA Cup in 2012. They got relegated. So, do Brighton have to sort of weigh up this potential of success and think, "Hang on, is this going to be something that then works against us in the Premier League?"
0: Yeah, again, I mean, as we said earlier, if you're someone like Brighton, you you possibly want to win an FA Cup because that is going to be the highlight, you know. And I'm saying no disrespect to Brighton, but that could be the highlight of their their time winning a cup like the FA Cup. But at what cost do you want it to come at? As you say, Wigan went and won the FA Cup and then got relegated. You know, Middlesbrough had a couple of really good cup runs in the season. They got relegated. And some, you think the FA Cup will bring you a bit of respite and maybe, you know, encourage you to get results, but doesn't always prove that way. So, yeah, I guess right now, if you're a... If you're a Brighton fan and someone said to you, well, what would you prefer, FA Cup, but you get relegated or you go out the FA Cup and it allows you to focus more on your league games, you'd probably have a 50-50 split then, wouldn't you? You know, we've seen it in our discussions. Some people just want cups because that's your success. But some people would say, no, staying in the Premier League and allowing the club to progress and build would be where we want to be. I imagine if you're the club you want the Premier League. So, you know, maybe there'll be some pressures come to say, well, listen, hold on, this cup runs great, but our main focus is the Premier League. So we don't want, uh, you know, we don't want you to take your eye off the ball there. And if we're going to get results, maybe it's better not to be in the cup than we can have, you know, say a full week's rest before our next game.
1: I mean, it's incredible. And also, I guess, quite sad that that is a modern day conundrum where it's you can either stay in the Premier League or you can win a, a trophy. Do you know what I mean? It's this... Absolute overall, but I guess you know, with so much money in the Premier League compared to winning the FA Cup, it's a no-brainer, really, isn't it? But I guess-
0: yeah, I think as as fans, you always want cups, don't you? We measure that—that's that's our measure of success a lot of the time. You know, most fans like it's silverware that counts. When we look back over the years, we want to say FA Cup winners this many times, League Cup winners that many times, but we have reached an era where for the actual clubs themselves they're not bothered about that. You know, it's the money and we all know where the money is.
1: Absolutely. So we shouldn't forget Newcastle. They were held to a draw against Wolves last night and they would have been on 27 points had they seen that out. Um, They would have been just behind Brighton on goals scored. So myself and Cole didn't actually watch the game because we were recording the Spurs podcast. So if you want to check out our views on Tottenham versus Leicester, then make sure you give that a listen. So enough of the self-promotion. Let's focus on Wolves' equaliser and a couple of points to sort of discuss on this one. First... How much of a moan should Rafa be having of the fact he went to the 95th minute when four were signalled? So has Rafa forgotten the fact that he made an injury time sub, which then would have turned, added more seconds? So what's your take on that one first?
0: Yeah, no, I, you know, I fully agree. To me, you know, this kind of tactic of bringing a player on when there's a minute to go, when you know it purely is just brought in to try and run the clock down. I'm all for a referee saying, well, I'm stopping the clock. You can bring your player on. But when this game starts, there's still a minute, full minute to go. So you can make as many changes as you like. I'm not letting the clock run and I'm going to blow up still. Because we've seen it so often, you know, a player runs on the pitch and almost before he's got to the centre circle or his position, the referee's blown for full time. And you're thinking, well, what was the point in that sub? So, no, for me, good reffing. You know, if there was four minutes, then it should be four minutes and a full four minutes, you know. So, yeah, Rafa kind of calls his own problem there a little bit.
1: While also, how much flap should uh, Martin de Braviot be getting for Wolves' equaliser? Should he have been a lot stronger when going up with Bolly? Because it almost looked like he sort of half went up looking for the protection that goalies are usually afforded. So he obviously expected a whistle, but you've got to be almost sort of stronger and wait for the whistle to then happen
0: yeah I think as you say Dan how often do we see that that decision is normally blown up isn't it a referee normally blows and the goalkeeper gets the benefit of the doubt um, and they kind of forget that sometimes he's able to jump with his hands in the air so if he's six foot three something with his arms in the air he's he's nearly seven foot something um, and for me the correct call you know he wasn't impeded he should have tried to punch it rather than catch it and then the game's done but yeah, great decision from the referee there.
1: Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more there, Cole. And ultimately, does that two drop points, is that just bad game management from the Magpies?
0: Yeah, I, I think so. You really should be seeing that out at that point because <clears throat> that would have been a real vital three points in their push for making them safe because, you know, Wolves is a real difficult place to go this year. So that momentum from getting that result there as well would have really helped them for the rest of the season. So yeah, to come away what probably now feels so like a defeat, then um, yeah, I think they'll be gutted there. I mean,
1: bad game management is something you could just as easily <laughs> criticise Southampton for on Saturday because after they got back on an even kill and in injury time through Jack Stevens, Cardiff still found the time to get a winner through Kenneth Sahore. So again, how much of that is the Saints costing themselves, and how much of that is down to Cardiff's newfound team spirit after the tragic events which have been connected to the club as of late?
0: Yeah, well, Cardiff do seem to have... I mean, you know, the tragic tragic events for Salah seem to have really lifted them. And they've obviously got a bit between their teeth to try and use that and get the momentum going. You know, like I say, they obviously feel like they can use that to push them out. And it's given them a lift. It's given them a kind of purpose. But, yeah, Southampton will be kicking themselves, won't they? You know, if you just get yourself level at that point in a game then you should, as a team, just be saying, right, nothing silly from here. We've got ourselves back in it, you know, and now we just make sure that with the time on the clock, we see this out and we get nothing less than a point. So to allow Cardiff to go straight down the other end and nick the winner, that is just shocking. Again, shocking game management from Southampton. Um, And they'll be kicking themselves because in that game, they had so many good chances. That game should have been out of sight before it even got to the point where they managed just to get themselves back in it, but then to lose it and that, you know, those are moments in the season that possibly could be a season-defining moment, you know, because the way it's going, those drop that drop point could be, you know, that could really be a killer for them, but it's also the momentum and that sinking feeling when you lose a game like that, that can just have a really bad knock-on effect to the whole squad, so... That was a killer blow, that one. And Southampton, I'm guessing the feeling there in that dressing room after would have been, you know, just one of shock. And as a manager, you must be pulling your hair out.
1: And Cardiff, they've won their last two. I mean, obviously, there's no positive at all you can take from the tragic loss of Salah. But will they feel inspired and perhaps even a level of duty to give it their absolute all now in terms of beating the chop this season?
0: Yeah, I think they could use this as their you know, their motivation to make sure that they don't go down. Um, And, you know, again, as we keep using this word in this podcast today, but momentum, it's massive in football. And now they've obviously got something to fight for. They want to, you know, they're using it in every game to drive them and push them forward. And that could, you know, as you say, there's nothing positive to come out of what happened, but it could be what kicks them on to, to, you know, to get them out of trouble and in a season that obviously you know without that kind of momentum and that drive or something to fight for you know who knows maybe they, they would have gone on to lose a couple of those games that they've turned around lately so I think <clears throat> you could see Cardiff using this as, as something and you know when we look back come the end of the season we could find that that motivation has kept them out of trouble
1: Yeah I think you're right there Cole obviously you know there's, there's no sort of it's not a good story to come out of Cardiff, but there could be at least some form of relatively happy ending should they stay up. So, you know, we'll have to see how that pans out. In terms of the relegation candidates, or ones trying to stay away from it, should I say, Palace, the last of them, they won at the weekend. they got the better of West Ham. Do you get the feeling now with Batshuayi among their ranks that they'll have enough to keep their heads above water? Because they've got the striker they've finally been looking for.
0: I think, yeah, as you say, now they got Batshuayi in, you know, you've got the likes of Townsend and Sahar that can kind of produce bits of magic. Um, I think Palace will find themselves okay at the end of the season. I think we've got three worse teams than them this year. Uh, But again, they will need to look to kind of, you know, they don't want to be one of those sides that every year you're facing a relegation battle. um, Because yes, they've got enough, I think, to get them out of it right now. But come the end of this season, will Zaha still be there come next season? You know, Will they get Batshuayi on a permanent deal? Could he look to go somewhere else if he has a good little run from now till the end of the season? You know, Even someone like Townsend, would there be another bigger side possibly looking to take him on again? Um, so I think Palace have got enough to get them out of trouble this year, but I'd be worried if I was them for the summer and you know, the possibility of losing a few key players because once you take those key players out of that side, then you really would worry about them and, and their safety.
1: And, of course, the race for the top four is also heating up. Manchester United now occupy that slot, as United are flying under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I guess you could say it was a routine win over a lacklustre Fulham side who look all but done. So, I mean, the new manager bounce that many always hope for when a new man comes in has not really been apparent at Fulham. I was chatting to Matthew over the last couple of weeks on these episodes, and he's sort of saying that we've had wins, but there have been wins in isolation, and I think Ranieri's not quite commanding in the dressing room as he sort of first would have um, hoped to. So, I mean, what is the underlying problem at Fulham? Is it just, I guess, in football, there has to be three teams relegated each season and they're just one of the worst teams that we've had this time around?
0: Yeah, I've, I've, it's really strange, isn't it? Because come the beginning of the season, I think lots of us were tipping Fulham to be the side that probably could have given the top six, you know, a nosebleed. Um <clears throat> But it really has gone downhill this year for them. Um, and I know if you speak to lots of Fulham fans, they really do blame, you know, the fact that no settled kind of side, it changing week in, week out. Um, you know, some people say this is what happens if you buy too many players, you know, in the summer. You know, they kind of change a lot of their side and didn't stick with the players that had got them promoted. Um I just think unfortunately they've come up. There's been lots of changes, lots of unrest. It hasn't worked for them. As you say, they brought Ranieri in, kind of hoping that he would have that, you know, magic spark and getting them out of it. It hasn't proved to be the case. Um now some people may say, Well, Ranieri's never looked like a manager who could probably go in and do that, you know, apart from that Leicester season. Which you then kind of sit and say, well, we all know that was a freak of a season. So was Ranieri possibly the right man to bring in? If you have a look at people like Sam Allardyce that were sitting there, we know he's not the most attractive proposition. But if your aim is to try and stay out of trouble, then someone like Big Sam, I would probably have turned to someone like him before Ranieri, that's for sure. Um, But I just get the impression it hasn't worked the project has been you know a bit of a disastrous one and yeah I think you know Huddersfield and Fulham will see them drop down it's now whether they've got enough about them to to bounce straight back up and try again and you know maybe attack it with a bit more of a sensible plan than they did this time but yeah I can't see nothing but the drop for Fulham now.
1: I mean the same I guess is extended to (coughs) Huddersfield because they are done let's be honest and I touched on this a couple of weeks or so ago, but their manager appointment obviously last month, so a little bit um removed from since we last spoke. But is that that's an appointment appointment which almost sort of says, Right, we're bracing ourselves for relegation, let's just give the championship a good crack with a new manager who's got a few months to sort of work out what he wants to keep, what he needs in the summer and we can go again because there's no point pumping in fifty million in January when you're almost as good as done anyway.
0: Yeah, I think when, as you say, it, the sensible thing to do if you're if you're Huddersfield now, as you said, was basically say, let's prepare ourselves for what comes next. We know we're not going to get ourselves out of trouble this year. So as you say, why go and spend fifty, sixty million in this in January, hoping you might a couple of players might come in and spark something? Just prepare yourself for what comes next, and if you do it the right way, we know that there's a good chance you can come straight back up again. And again, a bit like Fulham if you do it the right way you can plan a little bit better for it you know you take the experiences you've had and you go okay we're now you know we're now ready for what's going to come our way so as you say they are done I think you know that we're pretty sure that they're the first team that will get relegated this year but if they do it the right way and they invest the money properly the manager does the right things you could possibly see them being favorites to come back up again next year. I just want to
1: go continental quickly. By the time this sort of goes out, I think the game would have probably uh, come to a finish. But Man United up against PSG tonight. PSG reportedly with no um, Cavani, who's injured. Neymar's already ruled out a long time ago. So United, are they going to fancy their chances?
0: I think at the moment they will, Yeah, exactly. they? yeah with, I think with, they will. With the buzz going. I think United will really fancy their chances of getting through this game. I think they're a little bit like us, if you like, Then The first game at home, I think it's vital that they try to get at least a couple of goal lead to go to that next leg um, out in France. But... <clears throat> I'll tell you now, I don't think United at the moment are fearing anybody. I think with the buzz they've got and the momentum that's going there, they probably can't wait for the next game. And their view is like, listen, if you're a side that are going to come and attack us, well, That's great for us because we got Rashford, Martial. We'll we'll counter you, and we'll look to kind of you know we've got players that can hurt you. So I think United will really fancy their chances tonight, and I think we'll see them try to go out to get at least a couple of goal advantage ready for that second leg. So I'm looking forward to this one tonight. That game could be really good. You know, it is disappointing. If I'm going to watch it, I want to see Cavani. I want to see Neymar play. But if you're a United fan, those two injuries couldn't have come at a better time.
1: Exactly, yeah. Your chances have increased dramatically and it should make for a very interesting clash. Obviously, you want to see the best of the best, but I don't think United will be shedding too many tears either. There's certainly tears at Vicarage Road for Everton fans because Watford got the better of the Toffees on Saturday as the value of silver is rapidly decreasing ever further. So, is it perhaps fair... To say that he's on borrowed time, or is it time that he needs more of to facilitate the kind of job he's trying to do at Goodison Park?
0: Yeah, it's a really strange one, isn't it? I think the chairman has kind of come out to try to say, like, listen, this is our man and, and we're prepared to kind of back him. And we're not looking short term, but we know the Premier League is kind of a short term you know, teams like Everton will look short term. If something's not working, then they'll look for the next option because they don't want to be in, you know, a you know, possible relegation scrap or getting sucked into that sort of part of the league. They want to be, they've got ambitions to be higher up the table, Europa League sort of side, and then move on to pushing the top four. Um So, yeah, I, I can see them, you know, I can't see Silver getting that much longer. You know, if things don't drag drastically improved by the end of the season. I think that you will have a board there looking and saying, "Right, well, hold on a minute. How much more money are we prepared to give this guy to spend? If you know this maybe isn't the right man for us in the long run, um, it's a really hard one. They are dreadful at set pieces, Everton. I mean, you know, there's one area you're going to look now to kind of hit them. We it does seem to be that they can't defend the set piece, and they're vitally important in the Premier League." Um, I've, you know, we always say, don't we, managers should be given time, but it's not an era where managers do get time. But I can see him possibly surviving. But if they have a bad start next year, you know, if they finish badly this season and then start next season poorly, I don't think he'd last too many games next season. But I think he'll see this year out. But they really need to improve and they've got the players where they should be doing much better than they are you know attacking wise Richarlison, Sigurdsson you know they've got good players but so something's weird that it's not working there for them because I think again Everton were one of those sides you think should have been pushing the top six or seven this year.
1: Yeah it's been a weird couple of years for Everton haven't they since Farhad Bashiri's come in they've sort of promised big spending and, you know, this is going to be the evolution of the club and we're going to really kick through and be a big six club. And it's just not happened for them. And it's not easy. You know, money doesn't automatically equal success as Everton are finding out the hard way. And they're almost sort of caught between sort of two schools, really. And they've had this sort of post-Kuman era where Allardyce come in, did what he needed to do, you know, would have done the same kind of job for Fulham if they appointed him. But, you know, they sort of got over the line there. And then it was, right. you know, new era under Silver. And it's just not worked. But I guess maybe he's trying to sort of still repair the sort of ongoing
0: damage that's been done in managers gone by. So I think it'd be I hard. I suppose that, yeah, carry on that's well. the trouble, isn't it? it? There is that thing of like, is one season enough? You know, it could be that he possibly needs, you know, two, even maybe three seasons. Yeah, I you you're know, right. In, in that role. But. I don't think Everton are the sort of side that are gonna wait around that sort of time. You know, we know nowadays chairmen basically get itchy get itchy thing itchy feet. And, you know, if you're not pushing where they think you should be pushing, then they'll look for that next option that's out there who can come in and do it. But, you know, maybe he does need just another couple of transfer windows to get certain players he wants in and out. But at the same time, you do want to see some form of progression, I guess. And they started off strong, but they've really dipped recently. So if he can turn it round and they start, you know, have a strong finish to the season, even if they miss out in, you know, the top six or seven, if they was to finish, say, eighth or something and finish strong, then I think, you know, there'd be a little bit more optimism. But if the season dwindles away from now and they have a really bad end to it, then, yeah, you'd be kind of fearful of what's going to happen there.
1: I mean, if we take our beloved Tottenham as an example of this, and I know Daniel Levy comes in for a lot of criticism, but is there something to be said for actually backing a manager? Because, you know, when Pochettino come in, didn't get Champions League football straight away, and in the knee-jerk culture of this day and age, it would have been very easy for another club in that same situation just to bomb him off. So, you know, maybe Everton do need time. Because, you know, in the past, Everton and Tottenham were sort of two comparable clubs. They were almost sort of at the same level. And whereas Tottenham have gone up Everton have gone down, so maybe it is, you know, someone as a chairman needs to be brave and think, do you know what, let's give it 18 months, because they're not going to go down, if they don't get Europe this season, then it's not the end of the world, but, you know, is someone prepared to be that bold?
0: Yeah, I, I think I think the one thing that we had, as long as you could see your manager was putting a philosophy in place then I think, yeah, as you say, sometimes maybe you should be brave and go with it because we saw with Poch, you know, as you say, at first we didn't get that Champions League straight away, but you could see that he was kind of putting in this, you know, attitude and there was this squad being developed that it was, you know, everyone wanted to pull in the same direction and if you weren't on board with that, then you're out, you know, simple as that. It's like, no, we're going in this direction and as we said earlier about Chelsea, it might be that, you, you know, players have to see that this manager is one who's going to be around for a while. So you either buy into what he's doing or you leave. And then the player then has to make a call of like, well, actually, I need to buckle down because this bloke's not going anywhere. Um, whereas if they suddenly see that, well, hold on, if I just wait a few more months, this bloke could be out on his ear. Someone else comes in and we start again. So yeah, maybe they've got to be brave and just stick with him. They fought so hard to get him; it would seem crazy that after one season that they they get rid of him and start all again.
1: Yeah, because they seem to be just looking for the next quick fix, really, don't they? And I think Everton will would benefit if they actually bided their time. I know you know it's not like a an unlimited take as long as you want kind of theory, but I think they'll be better off for it if they can give him eighteen months at least and see what they can do. You know, start the next season. Like you say, if it all hits the skids again halfway through the season next time around, then you think, well, OK, maybe he does have to go. But I don't think they gain anything too much from part and company come mate.
0: Yeah, because unless you're a Man City where you suddenly have a chairman who can go out and buy you the best players in the world no matter where you are in the league, you know, when, when Man City were taken over... Even though they weren't a Champions League club, when you know you can go and buy the top players because you can pay them enough and that to get in, you know it's going to turn around. But when you're not one of those sort of sides and you're trying to just spend within your means and, yeah, you'll make a big sign in each season, but then it's a few small ones around that, that process takes a long while, as we've seen. You know, that's kind of, you say, Everton and Spurs were pretty much on a level par at one point. You know, under Moyes, you you had said that it was between either of us who could both challenge for the top four, where we've progressed on from there, and Everton have just kind of stayed in that same position and slipped down. So, yeah, you've got, I I would say, like you, Dan, it would be nice to see them stick with him and just, you know, see where we go. But modern football tells you that, you know, if the chairman thinks the club should be a Europa League club and you're not getting them there, he won't hang about before he brings someone in that he thinks can do it.
1: Right, wrap things up. Got we'll to do a bit of admin before we go. So Arsenal won. That's the end of that discussion. No more there. <laughs> <laughs> um, no losable picks this week because it's the FA Cup. So <laughs> I don't know if I'm even going to bother watching any football this week, and because there's not really that many appealing. Fixtures, Cole, is Yeah, it?
0: nothing jumps out, does it, Dan? No. Nothing kind of makes you go, oh, yeah, I, I desperately want to watch that. I guess, apart from the, you know, Chelsea United yeah, game. But we'll be busy that, on Monday, probably, won't we? We
1: can't watch yeah, it. yeah, that's
0: right. That's the only one that I think actually stirs my kind of, you know, want to watch that game and see, it, you know, mainly because we're, yeah, Tottenham bias, I wouldn't mind seeing Chelsea knocked out of that as well. But, um, yeah, no other fixtures really get me excited for, for this round of the FA Cup. I'm just pleased that for Spurs' sake, there's a little bit of a rest coming in.
1: Yeah, actually, it's a welcome break, to be honest, what were the injuries we've had and all that. And um, before we do sign off, just a, an unfortunate piece of news that's broken today, the fact that Gordon Banks has passed away. So one off, if not the greatest goalkeepers of all time. And as silly as it may sound, Cole, he's arguably greater remembered for that save in 1970 rather than winning the World Cup four years before.
0: Yeah, quite right, Dan. I mean, I spoke to my dad this morning. Um, <clears throat> obviously, you know, I didn't really see much of Banks. You know, I know I'm old, but I'm not that old. Um, so I asked my dad, you know, how good was Gordon Banks? and And he kind of said that that was one of the best goalkeepers he'd ever seen and probably still to this day has seen. And as you say a World Cup winner. But if you ask someone to name their one highlight from Gordon Banks' career, we all know they'll pick out that one save um, in the World Cup in Brazil where he literally pulls that ball from out under the line and flicks it over the bar. Um, And it is strange because my dad said, you know, that's his iconic moment. But as a goalkeeper, when you watched him week in, week out, he said he was one of the best goalkeepers he'd ever seen. So he said, you know, really disappointing today and really sad. But, you know, a great man and a great goalkeeper.
1: Yeah, great words, Carl. Couldn't agree with you more then, mate. You know, it does make you think of his talents, what his price would be today. Because, you know, he was just incredible, wasn't he? <laughs> like, you couldn't even really put a price on him, could you? It'd be a world record yeah, thing regardless. It's,
0: it's, Such a shame, isn't it? You know, you look back on some of these players nowadays and when you see the sort of transfer fees that some players go for, you just look at certain players and think, what would he have been worth today? You know, if that sort of player's going flat money, what would this guy... Have been worth in today's market um and staggering, you know. A great player, and yeah, really sad today. You know, when we see those old World Cup heroes disappearing, then it, it does, it is really sad, but great player. um And if no one's seen him, try and look up Gordon Banks' best moments. There must be a YouTube compilation out there somewhere. Um, because I'm sure you'll see that that save was kind of, Banks was pulling off those sort of saves regularly week in, week out sometimes.
1: Yeah, I mean, I doubt that was a fluke, was it? I mean, he was that good a goalkeeper. So top words, Carl, thank you ever so much. And also thanks ever so much for joining me this afternoon. I hope you'll fancy doing another afternoon run out soon because there's plenty of Champions League weeks coming up. So you'd be uh, very welcome on board in this sort of earlier shift.
0: Yeah, no, don't really enjoyed this one, mate. And any t- time you need me to jump on, just give me a shout Excellent, mate. I'll um, make a note of that and we'll get you back in the uh, schedule soon. So it just leaves me
1: to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast in association with Loser Paul. And until next time, goodbye.